So right before you got here, there was a spoonbill rosea in the pond in the back. And I think that it's because we've gotten so much rain here. Have you seen one of those? Do you know what I'm talking about? I have no idea what you're talking about. It's a pink bird and it's got a spoonbill and it like, it's, it moves its mouth back and forth, back and forth. Like it's fishing. It's this weird, like, I know what you're talking about now the pink birds, because when I first came here, I thought that they were like this weird flamingo. flamingo. Yeah. Yeah. That was flying. I was like, yeah. oh, there's flamingos flying. Yeah. They, he does this thing. So he's like on the edge of this a pond, right at the edge of the pond. And he makes this like circular sweep back and forth, back and forth. And then all of a sudden you'll see him lift up and he's got like a little squirmer coming out of his, you know, so he's yeah. eating all kinds of things. Welcome back to the dinner table, friends. Of course, this week I have with me my friend Cassie Benechik. Thanks for joining me. Thank you for having me. I'm glad you're here. We've been getting a lot of rain, which is part of the reason why the pond is full and we've got spoonbill rosettes going on in it. But that rain caused you a little bit of trouble this week. Tell me. What yeah, happened. it sure did. So uh, we do not live in a flood zone. Uh, it's <laughs> never flooded. We we live on the lake, but it's you know we're pretty high up, and um, that storm brought us hail, wind damage to our roof. Um, and a so flash. the hail was the same day as the flash flood was happening. Yes. Crazy. So it was hailing. Um, we had lightning hit right across the street. Like it lit up the entire house and shook the house like Mary Poppins. I thought about Mary Poppins. Yeah. And, um, then, so I sent the kids to the bedroom and like, go get under the bunk beds. Let's just hang out there. And, you know, so they weren't afraid. And that was actually worse because that's where the water started coming in. And all of a sudden they're running. I'm actually on the toilet going pee. <laughs> and all of a sudden water is, is on my feet. Water is like rushing Shut past up. my feet. This Truth. is like a movie scene. It was very dramatic. And Samuel, one of my twins, is running. The ocean is coming. The ocean Aww. is coming to get us. And he was scared the sharks were going to eat him. Aww. And I'm just like Sharknado is coming. Thinking, yeah, I'm like, okay, well, I got to finish. I'm like, you know, I'm going peace. So I just, I'm calm and everybody's freaking out and grabbing towels. And I'm like, well, I can see that at the rate it's coming. Um, when I went back and looked at text of like texting my mom, oh my gosh, this is what's happening in a matter of 10 minutes from one side of our house and our house is 2,400 square feet from one side to the other. It was all there. It was all filled with water in 10 minutes. That's crazy. I saw you online and I was like, oh, should we reschedule the podcast? Cause that <laughs> sounds like a lot. And I, okay. So I have to tell you that the money situation was becoming a challenge in our life and we saw in the storm that there was hail supposed to be coming. And my mom, she tells me, so the hail went your way. And I'm sorry to hear that. Not just the hail, but the flood, the flood. We flooded here. Yeah. But our houses are lift up and kind of built in different ways. In addition to that, like the way my gardens are built, I build my gardens for flood because we flood here. Like mm -hmm. I get standing water here. And then Right after the major rains came through, my guy that brings mulch brought me two massive piles of mulch so I can, you know, that doesn't stop rain from going through the middle of your house. Like, I don't know. <laughs> That's a whole different conversation. <laughs> so I heard you saying something about looking for pea gravel so that you could do some drainage things. Yeah. So while the water was actually rushing into the house, um, 
we went outside and realized that it was actually pooling at one side of our house, um, kind of just how the ground had settled and our house had settled. And so we, thankfully we live in a great community. So neighbors, I had called out, Oh my gosh, our house is flooding. And several of the guys had come and they started digging a trench. So yeah, we yeah. have a, a French drain, yeah. um, that was dug literally that day that they had pickaxes out there wow. and were, because they were all trying to divert the water from going more into the house and to go away from the house. So yeah, so we're going to have a French drain. I love that about you. And I want to talk about that resiliency part of it, but you're magical with people like you, you know, and I, I always think I'm magical with a network too, but I see you, I think that's what we like about each other so much. So we're magical with the network that all of a sudden, like the team shows up. I love that about us. Yeah. I love that like unique part about us being able to like create this network that is supports us during hard times. Well, it's like, it's, it's magnetism and it's that people are drawn to us and our energy and our, our just, we're happy, go lucky, resilient women. And, mm -hmm. and it, it draws people in because they want to be like that, even though they may not realize it, they are drawn to, wow, I kind of, I really like the way they operate. And not being afraid to ask for help. Like, I think that that's a huge part of it. Yeah. I'm not afraid to ask for help. You're not afraid to ask for help. I see you asking for help. It impresses yes. me. I like it. I watch and follow you for that because I'm like, <laughs> that chick asks for what she needs and she that gets it. so true. Yeah. I think that's that's a challenge with today's world is like they have that guilt of like, if they ask for help, then in turn, they like owe this or they owe that, yes. which I don't feel I'm eternally grateful. But if I need help, you yeah. know, when we had the twins and I was like, you know, Hey, I need meals. Like if I need help, I'm just going to ask you're either going to be, Hey, yeah, I want to help that person or you're not. And, and both are okay. Speaking of help, I mentioned last week that I had to make a decision about the sheep. And so the guy that we were originally partnering with, with the sheep, Justin, you actually know, Justin, he's a forager. He teaches us a lot about plant identification. Yeah. So friendly around the area. We were partnering up on this sheep and I called him and said, Hey, I just can't deal with this right now. And he said, I'll come and get them. He came today and picked up the sheep. The sheep are not here anymore. That's a, a little bit of a sad movement forward, but it is a movement forward and, and onward and forward we go. Right. Mm -hmm. So did you ever get to see them? I did not online. Um, yeah. But I didn't get to see them. The Baugh brothers have left their arena. So last week we came across a couple of unanswered questions. One of those was about hash. And do you cook hash? Are you a hash cooker? I do cook hash. And Kristen and I actually, when I listened to the podcast, I messaged her and said, that is not what I call hash. That's what I call a casserole. <laughs> so tell me what you call hash then before I look it up on the, un or I call out the unanswered question. So I call hash like a breakfast Oh yeah, yeah. Okay. Casserole yeah. that would be in my would be potatoes and onions uh -huh. or root vegetables of some kind and onions in a skillet. That's hash. Okay. So like breakfast hash, like if you go to a restaurant and you have eggs and hash, that's what you're calling yes. hash. Yes. Cause I definitely grew up with the idea of like basically anything you throw into a pot that's just like all cooked with a bunch of vegetables and meat, that's gonna be a hash type of thing. And anything cooked like that is a hash type of thing. But I also understand your version because I've eaten hash at restaurants, you know, eggs and hash and bacon or whatever. So I looked it up and what I came across was the word hash comes from the French word hacher, which means to chop. Basically, hash is a combination of chopped or diced meat, potatoes, and spices. 
Although corned beef is often associated with St. Patrick's Day, corned beef hash is a po- mm. very popular comfort food for many people in America. See, to me, I think comfort food is the key thing here. I think yeah. that, like, that it had, okay, they said chopped up, chopped up vegetables, chopped up meat, but it's this, like, meaty vegetable comfort food. And that's interesting because I would never think of corned beef as a hash because actually I have corned beef going in my crock pot at home right now because I knew I was I've coming here. I've never made here. that before. And so it's corned beef, cabbage, onions, and carrots. So uh-huh. it's funny that that would be the description because I would never identify corned beef with a hash because I've always made it in a crock pot with cabbage and carrots. What is traditionally in hash? The essence of hash is meat that's already cooked, potatoes for a starch, and usually onions for sweetness. And then it also says you could put a couple of egg yolks on top of it or a couple of fried eggs on top of it. So then you get back into the breakfast thing. And then I think that like there's an Americanization to the idea of like breakfast hash because it's possible because in other countries they put an egg on top of everything. So an egg's not just breakfast food, right? It's true. So I think go to Ireland, go to Scotland, go to other places where they were making a corned beef hash and then putting an egg on it. And then somehow in America, it turned into a breakfast hash casserole type hash potatoes, you know, like we just, we have potatoes and meat. And so I thought that was interesting because cross-culturally, well, how did we actually come up with the concept of hash? And what do you, when you come to your dinner table, what does your family call hash? What would you describe a hash as? I've heard people talk about using like tomatoes in their hash, different kinds of grain in their hash, you know? So I think that it can kind of be anything, but I think that I I would say that the best way for me to describe it, whether it's, whether we're talking about corned beef hash or breakfast hash is this idea that the essence of hash is meat that's already cooked, potatoes for starch, and usually some kind of onions, right? So if you think about like, you're going to put that, you might put eggs with that, or you might put some other types of things like carrots. You're always going to have meat. You're always going to have potatoes. You're always going to have onions. That's a pretty basic meal if you think about it. Like every family is going to cook that. It's kind of like beans and rice here in in Southern America and Southern Texas. That's true. Well, in other places where they had mostly potatoes, pieces of meat they had left, well, you could cook it with some onions and some potatoes because they could grow onions and potatoes and make something really simple. That's interesting because we actually, so one of the hashes that we make on a regular basis in our house is using good oils and parsnip. I actually use root vegetables instead of potatoes. So I use parsnip um, and sometimes carrots with a bacon grease and onion. And we make like, it's a delicious hash. You mentioned to me, I know you've been practicing a little bit of the um, autoimmune protocol diet as well, but you mentioned to me that you can't eat white potatoes. Is that why, is that part of the reason why you've just gotten better at using other types of fruit vegetables? I have because I grew up in the South. I mean, I'm a Alabama, Florida girl. And so Mm -hmm. potatoes is part of every meal, every single meal. And, um, so for me, comfort wise, you know, I have to find something that's comparable and cauliflower is not always it. I really like the parsnips, um, you know, I find that those are a really good replacement. So I, I need to find other things, the cast of a root, cost of a root. Yeah. Um, other things that I can have that are potato like. I've been very grateful that my sweet potatoes did so good in the garden this year because we ate a lot of sweet potatoes over the last three months during this autoimmune thing. And so that was my potato option. Do you eat sweet potatoes? I do. Yeah. yeah. So that was my Okay, so then the other unanswered question we had was we were talking about the ducks and we were pronouncing, I, I was always pronouncing it Muscovy duck. 
and Sean would pronounce it Muscovy duck. And so I've got the pronunciation here. I think we should listen and then see if we can repeat it. Or... Yeah. Muscovy, Muscovy, Muscovy. Muscovy duck. Muscovy duck. Okay. So as opposed to, I'm like, I, I had inside my mind Muscovy that it's some kind of French Canadian duck. <laughs> <laughs> Seriously, that's where like their name is Igari, which is French yeah. for stray, right? They're stray ducks. And I, I, this is a Muscovy duck, you know, like, I don't know why I know it's got to be standing like a Canadian accent. What's a Canadian accent. So instead of that, it's a Muscovy duck, but that actually makes sense because cubby is a bird, like a small group of birds is a cubby, right? Okay. So maybe, yeah. I don't know, maybe I'm making some more things up. Maybe there's some more things we need to look up. Like what is a cubby? And, <laughs> and, and so but that leads me to, we had, we started the conversation last week. And of course you got like 12 shout outs on last week's episode. I know I was the star. I felt so important. I felt like it's the VIP listening. Right. I was like, what? it's me again. <laughs> and then, and then magically she appears at the dinner table the next week. It's like, there's some kind of mycelium network of interconnectedness going on up in our world or something like that. Oh, so true. But the question I had for you was, they mentioned you about ducks because they were getting ducks and you have ducks. And so I'm new to the duck scene with our stray ducks that have showed up. And then we collected a duck off of ocean drive, the city, the city duck, <sighs> but you have ducks. Tell us about we your ducks. Do. So we have quite a few ducks. We have several different ones. We have Cayuga ducks. My goal from the beginning has been rainbow eggs. And so you can't have the rainbow without having a Cayuga duck because they lay like a grayish black. Their first couple eggs are truly black and then they go gray. And so, um, yeah, we have, we have runner ducks, Cayuga ducks. Um, we have several different varieties. I could name them all. Uh, but I have found, I thought that I was a chicken mama and I have found that I'm really partial to the ducks and I just love them so I like these much. ducks too. I mean, they do big giant shits, but they don't, and they're out here on the farm. It doesn't matter because they're not doing it anywhere that's bothering us. Yeah. They're super chill. They're, they're not noisy. They just kind of peck around and eat things out of the grass. They're just, they're not, we're not feeding them, although they'll come up and eat from underneath when we feed the cows and stuff like yeah. that. But they don't, they're not getting fed necessarily. What I want to know is where do you keep them? Like, where do they live? How, how do you get their eggs? Like how, because we just have stray ducks. Okay. So the eggs, they will do their best to hide them any way that they can. Their goal is for you to never find the eggs. So um, we keep ours. They just free range in our yard. They run all over. Their poops are disgusting. I always say it's like a bomb. Like you hear it. <laughs> like, and you're like, oh. So that's part of, you know, um, some people don't want ducks because they say they're messy. However, because we do have a smaller homestead, we have their water set up. Um, on the other side of a fence. So they have to like stick their heads through to get to the water. They're not making this huge mess, you know, in the yard all the time. We have it very backyard friendly. Um, so then they have like a little home that they go into at night. And once they learn that that's their home. So what's their home? Is it like a doghouse? What, what is it? It would be a glorified doghouse. It's a little uh -huh. coop that we built, but I mean, it's probably Is it up side. off the ground? Is it on the ground? It's up off the ground and they have a little ramp that they okay. can walk. And okay. I keep wood chips in there so uh -huh. they have something to lay on. Uh -huh. um, and they'll just waddle up. Once they learn, getting them in the house, because ducks are scared of everything. Right. So at first they were so scared and you have to actually force them in it. After a few days, they realize, okay, this is where we're supposed to go when it gets dark. And they're really good at following the rules. Uh -huh. They go in, we close the door, 
And once they learn that's their home, they'll go back there and lay the eggs. And okay, after that, so it's no that part's no different than chickens. Yeah, are you raising yours from baby ducks? We are. Yes. Okay, so how do they not like start there as that's their home to begin with? So when we first got them, we ordered them. And so we, we had them as babies, but they're inside. And then we move them out to kind of a smaller area, Mm -hmm. um, just for safety. And so it's not until they're kind of teenagers that they start having free range of the yard. Right. And so it was kind of a learning like, Hey, this is your new home. Right. And, and now, now they know, and we're actually hatching. We have new ducks hatching next week. Very nice. And you're a surrogate mom of Kristen and Sean's ducks too? What's what like what's happening with the duck scene? I've seen her with some pictures where she's hugging ducks. Tell me what tell me what's actually happening with the ducks at right. Kristen and Sean's. So I am a surrogate mom. Um, you know, they really wanted to have these ducks and and you know, Sean fell in love with the idea of like having the ducks in different ways you can prepare them. And I said, Hey, just keep them at my house. That sounds like a great idea. However, Kristen is quickly falling for these ducks. So um I am a surrogate mom that doesn't get to see my children yet. Um, So you're waiting to see how this is going to go. Yes. um, Sean actually went today. It's funny you bring that up. He actually was at Tractor Supply FaceTiming me today to get all of the supplies. Uh, So they're going to stay for an extended period. We'll see if the ducks ever come come to to actually live with me. Okay, but she's getting attached to ducks that they're planning to use for meat ducks. Yes. Yeah. So she, I'm she, curious to hear the rest of this story. I think it's going to go. Yeah. I'm interested. I think we need to have them back. Like you need to have yeah. them back. Yeah. Um, Cause she said she's visualizing them, you know, as they are going to be food, but we are going to, you know, keep a breeding pair to continue to have duck babies. Right. So she says she's working on her visualization of them being meat ducks and, you know, um, We'll see how it goes. I think Kristen is getting very attached. I think Sean is too. I look forward to hearing more about their adventures and also more about all of the animal adventures you have going on. It's been a really good week of cooking. You know, you guys know that I'm doing the cooking now and I'm learning things. So I went across the street to the big meat freezer that we have on the farm. I don't usually go and get that most of the time. I'm getting my meat from the farmer's market by myself. I didn't ask anybody else's direction on how to do it. And I seasoned it with some onion salt, garlic powder, and I turned it on and I cooked it. And then I came back and I had a chunk of backstrap and it was perfect. And it was the perfect thing for me to have because this is the kind of thing I've said, I want to just have meat cooked, Mm -hmm. right? So then I can eat it all week long. Or I can mix it in with some vegetables or I can roast some vegetables on the side and then just have a wrap or whatever. And that's basically what I've been doing with this just chunk of meat. And it's giving me, it's like having lunch meat. Yeah. Except that instead of buying lunch meat from the grocery store, I'm just cooking a piece of meat and then having it available for me. So I make wraps every single day and I use the the coconut wraps. I get them from our natural grocers, but you can also get them from Thrive, which I'm ready to do my Thrive order now because they have the best stuff. Like they really do. Like that's some of the quality things that I really want. I need to get it from them. But what I found was I accidentally started an introduction to something (laughs) that I didn't necessarily plan on introducing and, but it's going to be my first introduction. I'm, I'm very serious about this autoimmune thing. I'm, I'm taking it. I'm trying to take it to the 120 days as much as I can. And, um, when and if I start reintroducing things, I'm going to introduce one thing and then focus on that one as any, you know, how does that affect my body? And what ended up accidentally happening was I reintroduced curry. And it's because yeah. the wraps that they had at natural grocers, they didn't have 
the plain ones, they only had the curry ones. And for some reason I had forgotten that curry was a seed. And that it's one of the things that they grind the powder and that's okay. how they make curry. And so I went ahead and got that. I have to eat these wraps, right? Cause yeah. that's my lunch every day. And I just make it with the wrap. And then I use my coconut based, either my tzatziki sauce or just coconut just yogurt. Oh, that was right. It's was a really, so good. really good recipe. We dipped our zucchini chips which weren't even anything other than just sliced up fresh zucchinis we dipped that in there tonight because i had run out of my other kinds of chips that i like to use i use all different kinds of autoimmune protocol like the kasava you mentioned earlier i like to use those and so that's on the bottom and then i usually put some kind of fermented stuff do you eat fermented stuff i do what things do you eat so it's funny i was going to tell you this earlier with the coconut wraps i really like uh, you get it at Natural Grocer, and it's the garlic and dill sauerkraut, the kraut that they uh -huh, have. Uh -huh. I I am just putting that with the steak. So I do the wrap, and yeah. I do the steak, and then I put that garlic and dill kraut on top. Yeah. And it's just it's So basically, amazing. that's the same thing I do. I use yeah. some kind of fermented stuff. I use things that I buy. My mom just made me some sauerkraut. Before that, I had some fermented radishes and turnips. I have pickled okra that I've used. So I use those and then I put some kind of greens. I, I've been using greens from my garden, but I also use a mixture of spinach and kale from the grocery store, organic spinach and kale. Do you like what greens do you use? That's true. I forgot. I do love to top it with arugula. Like I'll I grow that arugula. in my hydroponic system yes. so I can grow it year round. And so I'm con I have a constant supply of arugula and it's so spicy Yes. when you, oh, I just, I have a system. I just got it. Like my mom's friends had loaned one to her. I asked, I was like, did you, what happened with that? Because I knew she wasn't using it anymore. Before my life changed a lot, I had been looking into kind of what you do. You, what do you, what is your hydroponic system? You rent it? Like, how does it work? So no, I actually purchased it. Um, and I have the lettuce grow system. Uh -huh. Um, and I think when you came out a year or so ago, I had two of them. So I yeah. had two of the towers, um, and they can be inside or outside. Uh, if you have them inside, obviously with lights, but I, I really like that system for me aesthetically because it was going to be in my house. I needed that. There's multiple different kinds of systems, but I really love the lettuce grow. You can do different layers. So you can choose to have only 12 plants, 20, you know, you can yeah. choose how many. Yeah. I have two of the 36 plant stands. So I have, you know, the max. Yeah. And I just love it. I and mean, you keep it up all the time running in it and you have fresh greens inside your house all the time? I do. I keep it up currently. So in the summer, I do put it outside okay. because it does great outside. Uh -huh. And so I constantly have... Um, but I find that even in the heat of summer, I can still do like butter crunch lettuce. That's impressive. It is really that's the hard part is keeping the lettuce all year round. And I keep it, I have, you know, it says it needs full sun, but I do where it's kind of in a partial shade sun situation. I can always move it inside. I usually move it inside in August when the bugs get really bad. Yeah. Uh, but I have a constant spine. I also do tomatoes, zucchini, cucumber, huh. uh, peppers. And I like to, because there's 36 plants. And we don't need two of those full. I love to put flowers. So then in, if I have it inside, I've always got fresh flowers that are just, it's okay, so Okay, well, I have to learn a lot. Not only do I need to learn more about ducks from me, but I have to learn about my indoor growing system because now I have one and it's is, coming here and I'm going to get it set up so I'm I can have so that excited. going. I also made a steak this week, which this one was the one I was the most proud of because I've never cooked a steak in my entire life. I've always relied on a man to cook a steak. I'm being real. <laughs> I've always relied... <laughs> But now I was like, you know what? I'm cooking myself a steak. And I actually had a friend come out and he came out and did some gardening with me and helped me all over the property. And we just spent a really nice evening talking. 
And I was like, let me cook you a steak. And, <laughs> and I was like, do you know how to cook a steak? And he was like, not very well. And so, <laughs> so my parents had told me and I, and I'd gotten my steak from Turkey Hollow and it was a sirloin steak and it was a nice okay. fat size one, like a little bit of, I guess it was probably an inch. And I would say it might've been like a 10 ounce. So we both had about five ounces of steak to eat. And I cooked it in the cast iron skillet on medium. We have a gas stove, four minutes on one side, four minutes on the other side. And then I let it sit on the plate for five minutes and it was perfect medium rare. Perfect. Yep. I was so right. freaking proud of myself. I seasoned it. Same thing I did with the venison backstrap. I just put some garlic powder and some onion salt and that's all I seasoned it with. I was so proud of myself. I dug into that steak and then here we're having these great conversations and we're eating this beautiful salad with the rainbow radishes like I made mm -hmm. for us tonight mm -hmm. on there with pretty carrots all from the garden. And I had tossed up some roasted squash, onions. I've got lots of onions, of course. Cabbage. That's what it was. I had a cabbage okay. and I made this delicious little side and it was such a good treat and I really enjoyed it. So I'm learning to not be afraid at all of cooking and I'm just trying new things, which is why I pulled up this recipe for us to cook tonight. And when I sent it over to you, what did you mm. say about, cause curry, but you, you made a comment. You're like, I live on curry or like, so like it's I my did. favorite. I said, I was like, Oh my gosh. So I have Moroccan roots. And I was like, that's what you said. Curry, yeah. That is yours. Yeah. I had a feeling that you would really like the, the curry idea. I remember that one time you're a homeschooling mom and you mm -hmm. do like homeschool co-op type of thing or home co-op type things. I try to participate. And that part I completely <laughs> understand. That part of us is also alike. But I remember you did this really cool like Moroccan dinner thing. Yes. And you've been talking about wanting to come out here and do some kind of Moroccan dinner thing. And so I yeah. thought you would probably like that. Curry is just one of those things that is very likable. And so I was excited to try to find that. And I went over to... Um, Edelin at the farmer's market and picked up some beef from him. I got uh, some big chunks of beef stew meat. Okay. Normally I would say I like to cook with my friends at the dinner table, but I looked into this recipe and it said it was going to take eight hours. <laughs> and I was like, oh shit. Um, I don't think we're going to be together for eight hours. And weirdly enough, it was another instant pot recipe, but they were cooking it in the slow cooker. Yeah. So I kind of had to figure that out for my, and I, Totally think we could have done this in a completely different way. I think we could have done it with the Instant Pot normal where it would have cooked in an hour or two. It is but. possible. I will say that being so I cook with curry a lot and I do feel I've done the Instant Pot. It's just not the same. Something about the doesn't curry. doesn't absorb as and well. And that, that traditional, yeah, like it mm -hmm. doesn't absorb the flavors. It's definitely not um, my first choice if I can cook it in the slow cooker. Well, it turned out really good. I did, I did the recipe a little bit different and here it does have curry in it. So the curry in the wraps and the curry in this has now officially become my reintroduction is curry. So I'm doing curry over the next week or so. I'm going to eat the rest of this curry. It's going to be leftover dinner. And then I'm going to see how my stomach reacts to how my headaches, how um, skin stuff. We talked about having those whiteout things that I've yes. mentioned before. Yeah. You know, any anything that I can notice. You Other things, you've said you notice other things. There are other things that you've noticed like symptom-wise that like are, are indicators for you. I kind of get towards the end of the day almost where I feel like I'm starving mm -hmm. when I'm mm -hmm. when I'm not on this diet where it's like it just hits me out of the blue and I'm I'm I cannot be satisfied no matter how much I eat I feel like I need to eat a lot almost sugar drops yeah yeah um, arrhythmia arrhythmia yeah blood pressure just all kinds of symptoms that I feel so good 
so good eating this way. Yeah, it's definitely clearing my mind. So the few things that I've done a little bit differently on this recipe was it called for three pounds of chuck roast. I just used one pound. And then that that meant that I went ahead and like didn't decrease the amount of stuff I used on everything. I used coconut oil, an onion from the garden, of course, garlic cloves that I chopped up really thinly sliced them. um, And then also ginger that I thinly sliced as well. And then a tablespoon of apple cider vinegar, fish sauce, carrots, sweet potatoes, turnips, all from the garden, turmeric, the curry. I did go ahead and use a full can of the coconut milk. And it also called for some bone broth, but I actually used water because it says bone broth or water. And I don't have a ton of bone broth right now, which is something I'm going to have to work my way towards. We used to have Mm -hmm. a lot of bone broth, but I just don't have a ton of that right now. And so I'm going to work my way in that direction. But I don't think, I mean, it didn't seem to make a difference, right? Yeah. I thought it was very flavorful. It was delicious. Yeah, it was good. And so the way that it told me to make it in the instant pot was to saute the beef, right? I saute that, brown it, take that out, then do the onions and the garlic and the ginger till you get the aroma smell, right? Yeah. Then you add in your sweet potatoes and all of those other vegetables. Um, I also added in squash because I've got a ton of squash right now. So I put in zucchini. I thought those were great. I like the little soft flavor of the zucchini in it. And then you add in all your liquids, your your fish sauce and your coconut cream and your apple cider vinegar and all that stuff. And then you turn it on to low, slow cooker on your instant pot. And I cooked it for eight hours and I went and checked on it from time to time. You are so much better than me. So my instant pot recipe would have gone kind of like similar. I will follow the recipe. However, I don't follow the directions. I mean, that's where the unhinged homesteader came in. (laughs) Well, I'm starting now. So I know eventually I won't be doing directions anymore. I'm like, oh, simmer. I don't have time for that. Oh, simmer. I I just throw literally everything in Uh and I turn it on. Yeah. (laughs) I have a feeling that I'll start doing that better, but Joe was a very good direction follower with that kind of stuff. And I always thought that his food, like the way the textures and things were cooked, it always made me so happy. So I'm like, okay, he followed the directions. I'm going to start by following the directions. And then we'll go from there. I do think it makes a difference. I think that like you said, the texture and stuff, or even getting the flavor out of the onions, I definitely think there's a difference. I don't have time, but if someone were cooking, <laughs> I, I appreciate that you follow the directions. Well, I I don't have, I'm literally alone in this house now. I went from yeah. like a house full of people to like alone in this house. You have a house full of people, little people <laughs> yeah. running around everywhere. The cutest little people ever. Like, by the way, I love that. You had some experiences with Instant Pots and I'm stepping <laughs> into the Instant Pot world. This is new for me. I wouldn't say I'm afraid of it because Joe was using it for such a long time and yeah. because my mom has so much experience with it. But at the same time, I understand <laughs> that people are turned off by the Instant Pot. Now I've used it a few days in a row. Yeah. I actually, I asked for the Instant Pot when I was pregnant with Ember and she's now seven. And I was just like, okay, we're growing our family. I'm, this is amazing. I think it was kind of just coming out about that time. And it's funny because uh, my father-in-law gifted it to me and it sat in a box. I was so, I need That's this, I story. need this. And it sat in a Everyone box for a that. year. Yeah. And then when I got it out and finally use it, and I remember I actually hid on the other side of the kitchen <laughs> cabinets <laughs> when it was going, cause I thought it's going to explode and it's, it's going to yeah. be horrible. Yeah. And it and is now, intimidating, yeah. or at least we've been taught to be intimidated by that concept. Right. And so I think that that's, I'm glad to be able to encourage people. <laughs> I loved last week and I was like, 
what's the name of that thing? Cassie's going to be yelling at me. It's an air fryer. It's an air fryer. You have gadgets too. You have a lot of gadgets. I do. I you do. have a gadget that I am very wish I had. I'm very jealous of. You have a freeze dryer. I do have a freeze dryer. How often do you use it? Are you using it regularly? All the time. You, you will use it. Should I come over and freeze dry some things with you? Yes. Like maybe some of my garden stuff? You should definitely. It is, it's addictive. You save, you need to be saving. You save so much money when you're yeah. using it. You're getting healthy snacks and it's just, it's so easy. It's effortless. You load it up, you turn it on, and then whenever it's done, you take the stuff and you either put it in cans or Mylar bags, you seal it and you're done. And then you just reload it again. Okay. I have an addiction to dehydrated mango, pineapple, apples, and then also okay. the freeze-dried strawberries and bananas. Oh. And they're ridiculously expensive. So if I went and bought like fresh, that kind of stuff, would it be cheaper for me to come to your house and freeze dry? Definitely. So like a batch, a bunch of them, a batch of them, you can do about 10 to 12 pounds of fresh strawberries in one cycle. That takes about 30 hours. And you've got the breakdown is the average freeze dryer cycle. Of course, there's tons of groups that have done the math for us, right? We don't Mm -hmm. have to do this stuff anymore. (laughs) Um, So they factor that it costs about $2 to $3 in electricity to run a full cycle. So you've bought the strawberries. You've paid for the electricity. And I mean, if you want to count the Mylar bags, but for us on things that we eat regularly and they're not going to be for long-term storage, I just put them in glass jars and I, you know, air air sucker, um, whatever that's called. I might be making a date to like do some resource management of like making sure I'm not buying so much because I eat that fruit, that freeze dried fruit, like candy, like it's my Mm -hmm. sugar sweet, whatever. And I, I love it. And so, okay. So you just mentioned you have an overabundance of zucchini and squash or even once tomatoes. Yeah. Our favorite thing to do with those is actually make chips out of them. So I thinly slice Mm -hmm, them mm -hmm. and then I cover them in garlic or like your, special salt that you do. Oh, my, my cilantro salt. Your cilantro salt. And so we just cover them in that and freeze dry them and they are the best thing. They're so good. Okay. It's a date. I'm coming to visit you. (laughs) I love that one of the things that's already been continuing on through this whole conversation at the dinner table is that we have a lot in common and the guests at the dinner table are getting to hear a lot about our resiliency and the things that we have done as women to kind of strengthen our home. You mentioned the unhinged homesteader a minute ago is the name of your business. Mm -hmm. And um, I love that. And I always loved that about you because that's a perfect name. I told Kristen when we were talking about you and your kiddos last week, I was like, she rolls up in a van full of kids, man. (laughs) And I'm like, not at that stage of life, you know? And I'm like, that's a lot of kid in a lot of van, you know, like, but the unhinged homesteader cracks me up. And, but one of the things I love the best about you is that this resiliency. And we've talked a lot about that already tonight, but I came across this word recently and I wanted to talk about it with you and how you might feel about this, even as it relates to what are we talking about when I say resiliency and even how did we meet and how are we so much in common in this interesting network that we've connected in? The word is path interrupter. Have you heard of that before? Flow that just never changes. They go the exact same way. They do the exact same thing. And then you have path interrupters, (laughs) right? And when I heard this term used the other day, I was like, that's what I am. That makes perfect sense. And that it's not easy to be a path interrupter because people don't like their paths interrupted. Mm -hmm. Everything about every bit of my life has been a complete and total path interruption for people around me 
for myself. Some of the really hard shit I've dealt with in mm-hmm. life has been a path interruption. Yes, it's always a path interruption for me, but it's been major path interruptions for other people. And I think that the way we go about things being these strange, resilient <laughs> outsider women. The first time we uh-huh. met, do you remember this conversation? Do you remember? Yeah. Okay. So the first time we met, it was actually online. And yep. I I meet people online because of how open and public my life is. And if anybody learns that if, if another path interrupter finds another path interrupter in their area, we connect, right? Yes. yes. And I saw you post about rushing to the hospital because the umbilical cord for your was it was the twins for the twins yeah had yes. fallen out so tell us that story really quickly and then we'll we'll talk a little bit more about that okay so when we had the twins uh, I was 39 weeks I'd carried them full term and um, you know waiting for labor to go in and uh, instead of labor happening my water broke. I got up that morning, Mm -hmm. my water broke and I felt something smack my leg and it was my umbilical cord. So that became, Mm -hmm. um, it was no longer a peaceful, wonderful planned home birth. It was a emergency. emergency. Let's save these babies. (laughs) Yeah. And so I saw you telling that story and I was like, oh my gosh, you're one of the, you are one of the true stories where that, that happens. Right. Right. And it's amazing that you knew what to do. And I think that you knew what to do because you had experience with home birthing. You knew how to position your body. And you were telling, you're so good. You're really good about this. You're And you're also very public, but you'll write an entire like <laughs> blog post, right? Yes. And, and you'll tell us the whole story. And, you're, and you do that a lot with your birth stories. And mm-hmm. I think that that's been... That was where we connected because I'm looking at other women in this world. I'm looking for path interrupters, right? When I come across a woman that has experience with birth and also a tragic experience or a traumatic experience with birth mm-hmm. and has experience and is willing to share those stories and talk about them out loud, I see that and I go, those are those got to be my kind of people. Those are somebody yeah. that I want to connect with. Reminds me of this kind of resiliency effort that you and I are dealing with. When you told me about the flood, right? Mm-hmm. I wa- I watch you, and I said this earlier, I watch you ask for help. I watch you share your truth. Mm -hmm. And I think that that's a huge part of what's going on in my life right now is this idea of sharing my truth and telling the stories. You've got amazing stories with your homestead of all the different things going on with your animals. Mm -hmm. How many kinds of animals do you have right now? Oh gosh, we have, that would take us a long time. I don't know if we have time for that. (laughs) Um, But we have quite a few different animals. We have chickens, ducks, turkey, rabbits. We have sulcata tortoises, snakes. We have pet bunnies as well. You need, I I really want that. After this, we'll talk. There are several tortoise rescues here in Texas because people get sulcatas and they don't realize the commitment and that yeah. they're like 100 yeah. years. That's and on my so, list. I've been seeing okay. that and I'm like, yeah, I need one of those. Yeah. And, yeah. you know, like you said, the resilience of what I think you telling your truth and speaking your truth, I think that's what I feel like attracts people in is because mm-hmm. I will, I just speak my truth. And some people may feel that I'm oversharing. Yeah. But in my opinion, for every person that thinks I'm oversharing, there's someone else that's relating and yes. saying, oh, I wish I was strong enough to say that yeah. or to yeah. do that. Or they're going through that and we're helping them. You know, I talked publicly about, my traumatic birth. I've talked publicly about our, our loss. We had a mm-hmm. loss, you know, one year before that. And, mm-hmm. you know, yeah, it's just, it's there. I'm an open book and it's too much for some people. Well, and that's the thing that I'm running into is just how is it, but I also feel like 
every step of what I've gone through in life this last year, because at the end of the year last year and moving into the autoimmune protocol diet and my friend Lisa dying, my experience with Joe's mom passing and going through that with him and then financial concerns. And then at this point, the breakup, it's just been this, like, it's all been happening so fast, but at the same time I got on this healing path. Mm -hmm. and got serious about it, sharing that. And every bit of sharing that has just made me feel better. And I think that's what I can do for other people. And I can also do for myself, right? Yeah. But I think that handholders are the real compassionate people and, mm -hmm. and I'm not there to hold people's hands. I think that what I do is share what I do because I know for a fact that there are people out there that aren't telling anybody in the world what's going on, but they're very grateful that someone is so that they can, that hand that reaches down into the water to kind of pull them back up. It's okay. You're not alone. There are other people out there. Yes. And I say to find other path interrupters out there, we connect with each other, but at the same time, if they can do it, I can do it. Yes. I'm going to do it different, yes. but if they can do it, I can do it. And I think that there's a lightness in that. And I do think not everyone can handle it. I think that there's a, a lot of pushback from that. I think that being a path interrupter is really hard. It's a hard road to be on. It's um. my dad used to always say, if you put yourself on the train track, you're going to get hit by a train. Mm. Well, how many times do we have to get hit by a train, you know, before we stop putting ourselves on the train track? The thing about that is, and I, I wonder if you feel this way too, do you, do you think it's putting yourself on the train track or do you think that it's just part of the purpose that God put for you and you're a mm. more of the hands in the dirt line? Like, how do you feel about this concept? Yeah, I def I love that we connect even more or the similarities of I am also not a handholder. I am not the one to come to that's going to be like, let me hug you and, and be that physical comfort, right? But I think that we comfort people through the storytelling and through living our truth. So I don't, I wouldn't say that I would relate to putting myself on a train track. I, I definitely don't feel that way. I feel that, you know what, I am being my true authentic self. And there's a lot of people out there that are not being their true authentic self. And I just want to encourage by me being my true authentic self, I am helping encourage other people to live that way too and live in freedom. Yeah. So live in freedom man. to live in freedom. Yeah. So I, I don't feel, you know, like, I mean, definitely there's some hits where you're like, Oh, but I go into things knowing that I'm not for everyone and I'm completely okay with that. Yeah. And I think, I think that's where people, people need to be okay, not being for everyone. And that's, that's okay. Like that's totally, I'm okay. And I don't take any personal offense to it. Um, you know, it's okay. We're, we're different. I think that there's also an element of a strength and a bravery in taking responsibility for things, taking responsibility for who you are, taking responsibility for the choices that you make with like, like doing home births mm -hmm. and choosing your own medicine path. You know, mm -hmm. you have learned about all different types of plants and have begun doing foraging and learned naturopathy and some of those things. You have taken on the responsibility of things. And I feel that way about myself too, that a lot of people aren't really willing to take on the responsibility of, but at the same time, there's a lot of people looking for people to help with some stuff like that. Yes. That is so very true. And when we take on that responsibility, more vulnerable to get hit by the train, mm -hmm. you know, because we take things on ourselves, we step outside and we say, I'm going to do something different. And I mean, 
me choosing to do a home birth, that first choice, right? I had to convince my husband, ex-husband at the time, now, convince him that I'm not going to kill our baby, but I'm going to take responsibility for this thing. And I believe that I can do it. And I believe that I'm strong enough. That was a huge choice of bravery for me. Yeah. Do you feel like I have always been this kind of outsider? I've always been an outsider and I've always (laughs) been brave. And I've always been kind of a do what you want kind of role. But that ownership of birth and doing it that way set me on a completely different path for Mm -hmm. taking things on the strength and the bravery and the responsibility of taking this on. I'm taking my child's life on and saying, I can do this. Yeah. And I'm going to get some help. Yeah. And you ask for help. Like that's the other thing, talking about people rushing over and you were telling me a story about your your water well being exploded <laughs> in your backyard and that yeah the neighbor came and helped you yeah i mean i you know when people off not just when people offer um you know the first thing i thought when when the water was like rushing in the house is oh my gosh so i called our neighbor hey who has a shop back? We don't have a shop back. It's going to take us hours to go get one at Walmart or wherever you even buy, yeah, you know? Yeah. And so I thought, well, surely someone must have a shop back. And, you know, within minutes we had people and that's why we don't have as bad of damage as we could have had uh, because I just asked for help. And yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm one to definitely ask for help. <laughs> well, and I think that that's a good part of this interconnectedness, like understanding that network and understanding that we can interrupt the normal flow of systems by being outside and being brave enough to take responsibility for things, but also being willing to humble ourselves enough to ask for help when we need help. And I think that is a massive change that a lot of people aren't willing to face. So I want to make sure and tell everyone about your business. I know you go to the farmer's market. You're the unhinged homesteader. Where can people find you if they want to look you up? And is there anything else that you do you want people to know about to look you up? Okay. So, um, they can find me on Instagram and Facebook as the unhinged homesteader. Uh, and I'm at the Alice farmer's market, which is every month and, um, working on, you know, getting more presence online. Uh, as far as, you know, offering a lot of homemade apothecary items, herbal tinctures and soaps and tallows. Uh, and another thing that I teach a lot on is foraging Yes, and how You've to... done that out here at the farm. Yeah. Yeah. It's yeah. Been a fun and adventure. So I, I'm trying to share more of that, just what grows local, uh, especially in a time, you know, we talk about resiliency in a time right now of uh, economically things yes. being, there's so much food that just grows around us that we can forage for free. Yes. And so I talk about a lot of that on my social media outlet. So look her up, you guys. She's amazing. You'll want to follow her. And also don't forget to go over to our things, um, anything that I'm doing with the podcast. If you want to support the podcast, there's a podcast support button on the podcast notes. Um, You'll find us over on YouTube. You can subscribe there. Of course, anytime you rate and review, it's going to be really helpful to us as well. And go to my website at acelincampbell.com if you want to know about anything else that I have going on. Last but not least, we do this random question as if we needed anything else to talk about you and I, Cassie. (laughs) This is going to help us get something to talk about. Yes, we need help with that. (laughs) If you were given a free Super Bowl ad, what would you advertise? Probably breastfeeding. Yeah. Yeah. Did you breastfeed all of your kids? I did breastfeed all of my children. And I have a really resilient story on, um, I was not, and I'll say it really quickly. I, the twins, you know, that was a challenge with NICU and stuff like that. And I actually could not breastfeed 
meadow for the first seven months. That of was her my life. question. Was it hard? Because I think that people need to understand it's not yes. easy and it wasn't easy for anybody. No, <laughs> it was not. I mean, formula by far giving a bottle or, you know, whether it's formula, whatever it is, is by far. Definitely. That was easy. It was because she was my only bottle child that ever had a bottle up to seven months. And I was like, no, I will breastfeed this child. And we did at seven months start nursing and we breastfed to three, both I breastfed twins to three. And so, um, but it's not easy. It is a fight. Yeah. And I think that it's something that you have to mentally be prepared that it is going to be hard and you have to have a support system. You yes. have to have people who will support you, who, when you have a hard day and you want to quit are going to say, but this isn't what you really want instead of saying, okay, well, let's get the bottle. And they're sticking, you know, not that it's a failure to, to not breastfeed, but yeah, I mean, I would definitely encourage moms to, you know, that just so many things about it, but I would encourage them. It's hard. It's not easy, but you can do it. Yeah, they totally can. I agree with in the past. I always thought that part of the reason we had problems with breastfeeding was because the generations before us didn't do it. And it had more to do with cultural tribal things, right? Mm -hmm. Cause we didn't teach, but I actually, now that I'm understanding the epigenetic stuff, I think that we oh, actually, yeah. it, we grew out of it. We mm -hmm. like conditioned evolutionary ourselves to not be able to breastfeed as easily. And then babies having issues with, you know, their mouths and stuff like that. So I think there's some, I think, and I've not done any research to back this up, but I think there's some epigenetic changes that happened culturally or that happened through the gen genes rather than just that it was a tradition that wasn't being passed down from woman to woman. I would completely agree with that as well as tying into our diets and yeah. the, the synthetic yeah. things that we're eating and not being able to, you know, have a great supply. Like we're not eating healthy fats, healthy oils. We're not eating the things that our body needs to produce that nice, rich, you know, nourishing milk. And so I have to completely agree with you there and, you know, add our, our diet and, and how we eat and all of that to it as well. I don't really know what I would do for a Super Bowl ad. Like I can't, I can't really think of what would actually make an impact because you can make an impact with breastfeeding on a huge Super Bowl ad, but what would make an impact? And I think that it, I guess I would just go to like, regenerative agriculture, like, oh, yeah. like the idea that this is not hard and that it can look like this. It doesn't have to look like these perfect rows showing pictures of like these beautiful gardens with people just eating delicious vegetables out of them and fruits and like that message and that things taste good. And I don't know whether that would ever translate to a Super Bowl audience, <laughs> but that's but, what I would do. But there would be people. And what you said, I have to think how you said it, but what you said is that it doesn't have to look perfect because no. I see since 2020, so many people are getting into backyard gardening mm -hmm. and they're trying to make it yes. just perfect. And that's where, you know, that's part of where it's the unhinged comes. came through yeah. is yeah. I'm just going to throw some seeds out there yes. and I'm going to water it and I'm just going to believe it to grow. And so my daughter, I, I love believe I'll, it to grow this yes. really funny, my nine-year-old who, you know, has some sensory and spectrum stuff. She recently took some seeds that I was throwing in the trash. She said, mom, can I just let these grow? And I said, you can try, but they're 10 years old. Yes. Like, they've been open. Yeah. Yeah. Those seeds are yeah. not going to grow and uh -huh. they're peas uh -huh. in May in Texas uh -huh. or April. Uh-huh. Let me Baker. tell you, she talks to them every day and uh -huh. she talks to the water. Do you know what's growing? Uh-huh. The peas. The peas. Of course it is. Of course it is. <laughs> I love it. I also want to make sure and let you all know that I was a guest on a podcast this last week called The Sober Bartender. 
It was a really great conversation. You, of course, can find that one just like you can find this podcast up on Spotify and any other place that podcasts are able to be listened to. So I hope you guys will go check that out. (music) 